The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. The bulls trying to hold on after a wild week of trading that saw the Dow do something for the first time since late June. Investors bracing for the second busiest week of earnings season as 152 S&P companies and 12 Dow components get set to report. You've got the likes of Apple, Microsoft, and Boeing among them. Now, in the UK, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson takes his hat out of the running to retake number 10 Downing Street, setting up a very closely watched head-to-head coming up. Plus, markets growing more concerned as China's Xi Jinping consolidates his power at the top and celebrates the start of an unprecedented third term. And then later on, a new NBC News poll revealing escalating voter concerns over the economy with the midterms just more than two weeks away. It is Monday, October 24, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Shewin for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off your Monday morning with U.S. equity futures showing some red right now. As you can see here, you can, the, the Dow is roughly implied lower by 113 points. The S&P down by 15 and the Nasdaq implied lower by roughly 61 points. So modest losses still. This is all coming after a wild week of trading that saw snacks, socks, snap rather two days of losses on Friday. The Dow surging more than 740 points or two and a half percent. The S&P and Nasdaq posting gains of more than 2.3 percent, all really in all. Every major average is coming off their best week since June 24th. Pretty decent sized moves here, especially for the Dow Industrials, up 3 percent. The bond market and the majority of the yield curve trading at its highest levels in rate rise since 2007. Right now, benchmark 10 year note yields backing off just ever so slightly to 4.2%. The two-year note yield ticking slightly higher to 4.49%, and the 30-year long bond higher at 4.32%. In energy, oil prices still remain a focus here as maybe perhaps talks of more economic downturn, especially in places like Europe, start to permeate through the market narrative right now. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude futures down $1.88, Eighty-three dollars and seventeen cents, two and a quarter percent declines, two percent declines roughly for ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge. That's down a dollar seventy-six to ninety-one dollars and seventy-five cents. Within cryptocurrencies, a bit of a mixed trade this morning so far. The biggest ones out there, Bitcoin for sure, down about three quarters of one percent, nineteen thousand three thirty-four and change. The last trade there. Ethereum prices up about half a percent, one thousand three hundred thirty-six dollars and ninety-eight cents. Now, around the world, a mixed picture in Asia overnight that saw South Korea and Japan and higher. You can see those specks of green there. But a very different story for China and Hong Kong. The latter closing down more than 6 percent, nearly 6.5 percent for the Hang Seng in Hong Kong. Big sectors getting hit the hardest, Chinese technology names like Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu, JD.com, and Mitwan 
all down double digits at this point. You can see they're down anywhere from 11 to 15 percent. We've got much more on those big moves in Chinese tech coming up later on in the show. But a quick check on the early action in Europe first as we spin that globe around to European trade. Mostly green there. The notable exception is the FTSE 100 in the UK, which is down about a one half of one percent. Meanwhile, the German DAX and the CAC in France both up about one half of one percent. So let's stick with Europe and the new developments over the weekend as former Prime Minister Boris Johnson takes his name out of the running to retake the office at number 10 Downing Street. Our Arabile Goumede has been following this story since the beginning and joins us now from London with the latest there. Uh, what exactly, Arabile, can you tell us about what the dynamic is like now that Boris Johnson, former prime minister, embattled at the time, is now no longer going to be maybe the next prime minister? Yeah, Dom, look, they say that a day in politics is a long time, but clearly a weekend is even longer. It's pretty much a lifetime in this case. It all started with Boris Johnson returning from his uh, holiday from the Caribbean, cutting it short and returning on Saturday then, looking to drum up support in order to become the next prime minister again, I suppose, right, uh, following Liz Truss's resignment uh, from that post on Thursday. He looked to drum up that support. Yesterday then he came out with a note saying that actually, even though he's managed to drum up enough support, you need to get 100 votes in order to stand as a nominee for prime minister. Even though he was able to get that 100 votes, he would still not be standing for two reasons. One, he says the time is not right. The second is that he believes that the party is divided. The Conservative Party is divided and it would be unable to govern when the party is not united in Parliament. So he steps away from this, and he seemed like the only person who would be able to uh, perhaps run up against the former chancellor, then the former finance minister, who seemed to be in the lead, Rishi Sunak. So now it seems like it would be uh, a clear path for Rishi Sunak at this time. But here's the interesting element, though. The next person who is still challenging and is still in this race is the leader in the House of Commons, that being Penny Moore. Now, Penny Mordaunt has continued to stay in the race, has not disqualified herself. In fact, even putting out um, a poll on her Twitter not so long ago, in fact, saying that new polling shows that I am the one that can deliver a fresh start for our party. This poll, then, uh, is uh, from the uh, Delta poll, by the looks of it, dated to, uh, yesterday, saying that Penny is the most trusted for a fresh start, leading that poll by 57% to 44%. For Rishi Sunak, uh, Rishi Sunak's party indeed saying that they don't take anything for granted and will continue to be speaking to some members of the party. We're supposed to find out by 2 p.m. local time whether we do have two members in this nomination race or whether it is all roads to Rishi Sunak. Arabile, uh, so, so, so can you take us through what the context is around this? Penny, Penny Mordaunt calls herself that fresh start. Liz Truss was supposed to be that fresh start for the Conservative Party. Rishi Sunak was the chancellor of the Exchequer under Boris Johnson's administration prior. So is this one where the Conservative electorate want to go back towards Boris Johnson without Boris Johnson or really looking for that fresh start that Penny Mordaunt is, is, is referencing in her tweets? Yeah, so it it is a bit of a weird one. It's a weird conundrum, really, in that regard, right? Some of the measures that are put in place uh, uh, on the economic front are some of the measures that Rishi Sunak had said uh, should be put in place. Of course, uh, Liz Truss had put in measures that uh, even 
uh, he himself, Rishi Sunak, would have probably said, I told you so, that he should have gone, that they should not have put in place. So those economic measures being done away with does kind of point towards a Rishi Sunak uh, kind of a, uh, a party and leadership then. But on the other side, you do have the Penny Morden stance, right, where it is a firmer, fresh start, if you want to call it that, uh, as well. But on the economic front, it certainly does look to be pointing towards Rishi Sunak. But Penny Morden has not written herself off here and has not conceded anything as yet. So the fight still goes on. All right. Arabelle Goumide in London with the latest there on the UK Conservative Party. Thank you very much to another developing story this morning with uh, China finally releasing its long-delayed third-quarter growth data, numbers coming in short of estimates and published just one day after President Xi Jinping wrapped up his party's big national congress, solidifying his authority at the top. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the latest there. Eunice. Um, well, President Xi is now China's most powerful ruler since founder Chairman Mao. At the Congress, uh, President Xi revealed that he had secured a third five-year term. He also broke several other recent norms, including not naming a successor. As for his seven-man leadership team, investors need to know loyalists are in, reformers are out. She's number two, the man who's now on track to become premier is the overseer of Shanghai's brutal lockdown. Now, those lockdowns have had a very um, tough uh, impact on the economy. Uh, the economic data uh, suddenly reappeared that had been delayed. So Q3 GDP showed a pickup. This is mainly due to exports. However, the September figures indicated that domestic demand is down. A lot of that because consumers are holding back on spending and buying new homes and unemployment ticked higher as well for September. Now, uh, President Xi's dominance uh, seemed to include a flex move on uh, one of his predecessors, uh, ex-president Hu Jintao, uh, was unceremoniously escorted out of the Congress towards the close. Uh, there has been no official explanation, uh, one state media reporter said on Twitter, so in English to a foreign audience, that, uh, that uh, perhaps uh, President, uh, ex-president Hu was feeling unwell. But uh, to many, uh, this is being interpreted as a signal that President Xi has been able to defeat all his political rivals and um, that he has total control over the government. Now, now, now Eunice, it was certainly optically sh jarring for many of us who kind of saw that play out without seeing what exactly the overall context was. So this is going to be a big deal in many ways for the future of the economy, which President Xi says he wants to open up and create more opportunities for. But we want to get your take on the market action as well, Eunice, because we have, as I just pointed out, Hong Kong trades and shares falling more than 6%, almost 6.5% just to start the week on the heels of this Congress. Big Chinese tech names, Alibaba, Tencent, all closing down more than 11%. We showed a big name of the boards there, 11 to 15% losses for some of the most known names to global investors in Chinese technology. Is this the market maybe perhaps giving some kind of a verdict on what a third term for President Xi is going to look like? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think President Xi, as you had said, um, verbally um, mentioned that uh, China is open to the world. Um, however, a lot of investors uh, and just people who live here are 
um, concerned that his uh, elevated status uh, and consolidated grip um, only is going to amplify his current policies. So that is zero COVID, uh, the um, state influence um, over a private enterprise, uh, the uh, Beijing's concern of what it's described as excessive wealth accumulation. So all of that um, isn't very positive uh, for investors. And um, it doesn't look as though there's really anybody to push back on Xi's agenda. In fact, a state media today said for the first time that President Xi personally vetted the top leadership team. So this is very different from what we've seen in the past with the previous administrations where collective rule was the norm. A consolidation of power for sure for President Xi Jinping at the Politburo in China. Uh, Yunus Yun in Beijing, thank you very much for that. When we come back on the show, gearing up for earnings as investors look to brush off a mixed week of results. Plus, what a momentum shift for the Republicans could mean for Wall Street after the midterms on November 8th. And then later on, a CNBC exclusive investigation into the former CEO of Google, his investments in artificial intelligence and a possible lack of key government oversight. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a very busy week ahead on Wall Street with some of the biggest companies out there set to report their third quarter earnings and financial results. Among the roughly 152 S&P 500 companies and 12 blue-chip Dow components set to report this week, you've got tech heavyweights like Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta, Apple, Amazon, as you can see, all due out later on this week. And Thursday is going to be huge there for some of those. As we get set for the second busiest week of the season, this is the second busiest week by just a hair. Next week is just about four more than this week. Here's where we stand right now. Earnings per share through this part of the earnings season with about one fifth of the S&P reporting is up roughly three percent versus the same time one year ago. Above expectations, about five point four percent of those in terms of earnings overall. Now, on the other side of things, the revenue side, we're just about just shy of 10 percent higher on a year ago basis. And then roughly one and a half percent of them have come before above revenue expectations. So generally speaking, it's still positive. It's not earnings Armageddon, but certainly not as robust as some people would like. Joining us now is Eric Bailey, Executive Managing Director at Stewart Partners Global Advisory. Also, Degas Wright, founder and CEO and CIO 
of Decatur Capital. He is also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Eric Degas, thank you very much for joining us here. Uh, perhaps, Eric, we'll start with you. I went through the stats for earnings in the season so far. It doesn't look terrible, but it doesn't look absolutely great either. So does this mean that the markets have appropriately priced in an earnings slowdown where, the, where things stand right now with the S&P down 20 plus percent and the Nasdaq off 30 some percent from their highs, the record levels that we've seen? Good morning. Uh, yeah, I think the markets had had dropped quite a bit. And we've seen, as you as your stats had indicated, better than expected so far earnings. And I think this week will will show that some more. Unfortunately, I think it's the credit markets that are really driving where equity prices are going. We saw that Friday with the nice rally. It started with a drop in rates and and interest rates and Fed policy have really taken the lead with where the stock market is going. And even if we get better than expected earnings, I think it's going to come back to, to the Fed and Fed policy and what happens there. And that's going to move stocks uh, going forward. So the, there's a fundamental case that, that we know, Degas, uh, to Eric's point, that interest rates are driving the conversation, that the Fed is very much in control of what's happening with the markets right now with regard to their policy and the down moves that we've seen. But this is a time for a lot of microeconomic company-specific catalysts. And I showed you the stats. It's generally positive. Why isn't the market reacting more forcefully to the upside? Is interest rate policy still going to be overriding even more so than corporate results? You know, what we, what we look at is that the Fed is still going to be a, really leading this market. And so we're seeing that the Fed is going to continue to be aggressively rate hiking because of the growth in the service demand. What we're seeing is that service demand has increased over the last eight quarters, uh, whereas good demand has, has slowed down over the last three quarters. So we're still seeing the Fed in charge of the market. Uh, but the good thing about this, as you mentioned, the corporate earnings is still coming in better than expected. And that's that's going to help the market. Also, the labor market is still strong. So those two things are positive for the market. Degas, uh, if I could follow up on that, if, if things are constructive and positive for the market, are you out there buying right now? Is this a time where you can, you, you can be bargain shopping for some of these bigger names? It, exactly. Well, it really depends on the client's time horizon. If you have a three to five year time horizon, this is definitely a good time to buy. However, we had a client that had a current income need that needed money uh, each month. And so we went to short-term duration bonds. We had another client that's going to retire next year, and we moved that client into dividend stocks. So it really depends on the investor and what their time horizon is. All right. So, so Eric, if it is up to the investor and their time horizons, it's appropriate. Everybody is different with regard to their risk tolerance. What, what exactly is the opportunity right now? You mentioned credit. There are some very attractive yields right now in, in, in high yield or junk credit, also in investment grade. I mean, is this the time to go into bonds versus stocks? Yeah, I, I do. You know, the, the, we've had such a big decline in bond prices this year. If you look at the broad uh, aggregate index, it's, it's 17 percent down. And as you indicated, high yield is down a lot more. So for individuals in high tax brackets or in states with high levels of state income, we really like the municipal market. These are very high credit bonds, and you can find yields 
uh, straight yields in the mid four percent range now. When you when you t- look in after tax returns, it's much higher. For clients with a higher risk tolerance, absolutely like high yield, like preferred stocks, which give qualified dividends. And for for people who don't have a lot of risk, even in short term treasuries now, you're you're above four percent, and you don't pay state income tax on that interest. So there is a lot of opportunity in the credit markets. All right. So Eric likes the credit markets, certain places in high yield. Degas, what are your favorite stocks out there? Yeah, so we like uh, companies in healthcare. Uh, for instance, Regeneron, it has about, it invests about 18% of research development uh, for, of revenues, and they're doing an outstanding job of uh, building that portfolio of drugs, such as Adelia, it's an eye treatment, Dupexit, which treats asthma. And so we see companies like um, Regeneron doing well. We also see companies such as the uh, Enterprise Products Partners doing exceptional well. That's a pipeline company. And the good thing about that is that they have 80% of long-term contracts. So they're going to be able to escalate their prices and not be really tied to commodities. And then, you know, lastly, we look at companies on a global basis also. Okay. Degas, Eric, thank you guys very much for the thoughts there. We appreciate it. Still on deck for the show, why the NASDAQ is putting the squeeze on soon-to-be public companies coming out of China. Worldwide Exchange is back after this break. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Francis Rivera with your news headlines. Tensions flared between North and South Korea overnight with both countries accusing one another of breaching maritime borders. According to Seoul's military, South Korea's Navy fired warning shots after a North Korean merchant ship violated the disputed boundary lines. North Korea responded by firing its own round of warning shots. This latest exchange comes amid simmering tensions with North Korea launching missiles at an unprecedented pace so far this year. After a sprawling years-long investigation, the criminal trial will begin today for the Trump Organization. While the former president isn't facing charges, his namesake company is accused of a 15-year-long tax scheme. The Manhattan District Attorney says the business compensated top executives off the books to help them avoid paying taxes. Jury selection gets underway this morning, and the trial is expected to last about a month. At the center of it all is star witness, former chief financial officer Alan Weisselberg. The longtime Trump confidant agreed to testify as part of his plea agreement. Mr. Trump has blasted the investigation, saying it's part of a politically motivated witch hunt. After a rain delay in the Bronx, the Yankees were fighting for their playoff lives in the ALCS. The Bronx Bombers lived up to their name with Harrison Bader homering to put the Yanks on top. But the Astros played small ball in the seventh, driving in the go-ahead run and not looking back from there. Houston completes the sweep and advances to their third World Series in four years, six to five. And they already know their opponents. On the seventh pitch, Harper hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes, Harper, the swing of his life! 
Bryce Harper's go-ahead blast sent Philly into a frenzy. The Phillies take Game 5 from the Padres 4-3 and head to their first World Series since 2009. Both teams have some time to rest before the Fall Classic. Game 1 of the 2022 World Series is in Houston on Friday. Dom, send it back to you on this Monday morning. It's what happens when you win efficiently like they do. You get the time off. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. As we head out to break here, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, uh, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast platform of choice, Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to keep up the momentum after notching their best week since June in Friday's session. Futures right now pointing to some pressure at the opening bell. A potential catalyst for investors' earnings season shifting into one of its busiest weeks. Big tech on the docket, along with several high-profile bellwether-type names. And the economy front and center in the voting booth in just a couple of weeks. New figures on the growing number of Americans saying it's the, the key issue for them with two weeks until the midterm elections. It's Monday, October 24th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how stocks are shaping up on this Monday morning. Futures, as I pointed to, now kind of showing some modest losses, we'll call them at the opening bell. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 150 points, so fractional losses implied. The S&P down by roughly 19 to 20 points, and the Nasdaq lower by roughly 75, 76. We also want to get a check on what's happening with Chinese tech stocks getting crushed, absolutely crushed, on overseas trading. And this is all on the heels of President Xi Jinping and China's move to stack his leadership rank with loyalists, fueling expectations of continued crackdowns on the technology sector. You've got names like Tencent, Baidu, Alibaba, JD.com, Mituan, all down. You can see anywhere from 1011 down to 14, 15 percent, those Chinese tech stocks getting hammered in a big way. So let's now get a check on some of your morning's top stories outside of that. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Dom. Let's continue on the theme of Chinese tech and Chinese stocks. The Nasdaq halting the initial public offerings of at least four small Chinese companies as it probes massive rallies in similar firms following their public market debuts. That, according to reports citing lawyers and bankers who work on IPOs. The Nasdaq move comes amid a surge in shares of Chinese companies, which raise $50 million or less. Shares have spiked as much as 2,000% on their first day, only to collapse in the days following. It's unclear whether the exchange will let the halted IPOs proceed. The Republican National Committee, meantime, is suing Google, claiming that its emails are being sent to users' spam folders, impacting fundraising efforts ahead of the midterm elections. The suit filed in California on Friday night accuses the tech giant of discriminating against the RNC because of its political views. The RNC alleges the action has been going on for 10 months now. Google denies the charges, saying Gmail's spam filters are set by users. Tesla, meantime, is cutting prices on the Model 3 and Model Y by as much as 9% in China. The cuts posted on Tesla's Chinese website today are the first by the company this year. Last month, Tesla started offering limited incentives to Chinese buyers who were 
also chose its car insurance plan. Last week, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said a recession of sorts was underway in China and Europe, and the company would miss its delivery targets this year, Dom. You know, I saw a report yesterday where someone was comparing China perhaps to Japan back in the 90s, where they just haven't recovered. Not just that. I mean, those Tesla shares are down three and a half percent in the pre-market trade right now. So certainly a lot of market effects right now. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for those headlines. We appreciate it to Washington, D.C. now with two weeks to go until the midterm elections. And new polling by NBC News shows the economy. The economy is front and center for many Americans when it comes to deciding how they will vote in these upcoming elections. Elon Moy joins us now with more on that story. Elon, when exactly did this polling What exactly did it reveal with regard to how Americans plan to cast their votes? Yeah, Dom, voters made one thing very clear in the latest NBC survey. They are angry about the state of the country, especially the economy. The poll shows half of Americans, exactly 50 percent, believe that the economy is going to get worse. That is a record high for NBC's survey. And that financial anxiety appears to be eroding some of the momentum the Democrats had enjoyed at the end of the summer. Republicans and Democrats are still running neck and neck in the poll, 46 versus 47 percent for which party voters want to control Congress. But Democrats are losing ground among black voters and women, especially white college educated women. And President Biden's approval rating on the economy is just 38 percent, significantly lower than his overall rating of 45 percent. Voters of both parties are signaling they want change. In fact, they're less likely to support a candidate who wants to continue either Biden or Trump's policies. So what do voters want to see instead? A whopping 84 percent said they would get behind someone who supports lowering health care costs and prescription drug prices. Sixty seven percent want to see Washington fight inflation by cutting government spending. And only 55 percent would support a candidate who wants to combat rising prices by increasing taxes on corporations. Voters are incredibly engaged in this election. NBC survey found 70 percent rated themselves very interested. That's the highest level NBC has ever recorded at this point in a midterm cycle. So, Don, we'll see if and how that shifts the dynamics of this election. So, so I mean, Elon, this this story has evolved quite a bit from just, say, three or four months ago. Right. When, when there was a lot of energizing of, of perhaps the Democratic base because of things like the Inflation Reduction Act and also Roe v. Wade and abortion rights in this country. So is one party more engaged than the other because of this? Are they drawing more independent or centrist voters one way or the other, left or right? Is there enthusiasm on both sides of the aisle? And, and who are they going for in terms of who's going to swing this election? Yeah, really interesting, Dom. There is enthusiasm on both sides of the aisle, but Republicans have taken the clear advantage. The level of Republican enthusiasm is at something like 78 percent. That is nine percentage point higher than where Democrats are at. Democrats had closed some of that enthusiasm gap during uh, the end of the summer, early fall, as you were referring to. But Republicans have really pulled ahead. And just a little bit of context, the last time we saw a nine percentage point difference in enthusiasm between parties. It was for the Democrats, and it was back in 2018. At that time, Democrats picked up 
40 seats in the midterm elections. Republicans only need to win five in order to get control of the speaker's gavel. So right now we're seeing Republicans have the edge in terms of that energy and that enthusiasm. We'll see if it translates into turnout. All right. Time is uh, running out. There's just a couple of weeks for the elections here. Ilan Moy, thanks very much for that. So joining us now for the rest of this conversation is Stiefel Financial Chief Washington Policy Strategist Brian Gardner, also the co-host of the Potomac Perspective podcast. Uh, Brian, maybe I'll ask you the same thing. I mean, why? Why this huge shift in story between the momentum that was going towards the Democrats just a few weeks, months ago, to now swinging seemingly back towards Republicans as we head towards these elections? I I think there are a couple of reasons, Don. Let's go back to the summer. Um, You had the former President Trump was uh, in the headlines a lot. He was the focus of a lot of media attention surrounding the search of Mar-a-Lago. And that diverts attention away from the incumbent to uh, to the president and uh, the former president and Republicans. And it was bad for Republicans. You had a couple of political wins on Capitol Hill, the IRA, the CHIPS Act. Democrats felt better about themselves. That fuels Democratic enthusiasm. You were noting that in the poll. And then the Dobbs case, uh, which reversed Roe v. Wade, that was the very end of June. That fueled Democratic enthusiasm and uh, intensity uh, during the summer. But as we get past Labor Day, uh, economic uh, issues start to reassert themselves, along with crime, along with border security. Um, And then, you know, along with that economic um, refocusing, you had a pair of uh, negative CPI reports in September for August and in October for September. And I think that's just fueling voters anxiety about the economy. And ultimately, that that, that's what typically drives elections. And we're kind of going back into a a normal election cycle where economic anxiety, especially in this economy, with price price hikes the way they have been over the last year or so, uh, is really fueling a Republican resurgence uh, at the perfect time for Republicans going into the election. Brian, Brian, does this mean then, based upon the analysis that you've just kind of gone through and, and some of the polling numbers that we saw from NBC, that Americans will vote more on the economic front than they will on social or health issues for things like abortion rights or anything else? That means that the economy is the most important thing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I would include crime as a social issue. Um, so and and that polls very high as, uh, on uh, uh, on voter priority checklists, um, economy, price hikes, inflation, crime right there. Um, so other social issues like abortion and even health care are further down the list. So when you look at how voters are prioritizing issues as they head for the ballot boxes, it's those issues that really fuel that would fuel a Republican win there at the top of the list. And Brian, before we let you go here, there's only a couple weeks, really, generally speaking, left until the midterm elections. What kind of messaging would you expect to see from both the Democrats and the GOP as they make their final push towards that big election day? So two things. One, uh, the election's already started, right? We already have early voting in some states. So it's it's going on as we speak. Uh, as far, far as messaging, I think the Democrats have got it all wrong. I think the president has leaned too much into those social issues, which did fuel that, that, that resurgence for Democrats over the summer. But it's falling on deaf ears right now. It's clear voters want to hear about the economy. So I think both parties 
uh, are going to try and, and run on the economy. But Democrats have a really tough uh, job ahead of them. How do you deliver a message on the economy when voters are blaming you for the, the, the mess that they see the economy being in right now? Brian Gardner with the thoughts on the midterms at Stiefel Financial. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, coming, up, coming up on the show, a CNBC investigation finds the former CEO of Google made investments in artificial intelligence while chairing a federal commission on artificial intelligence, raising concerns, among other things, about ethics and experts about an a, a apparent conflict of interest and maybe even a lack of government oversight. We've got that report coming up. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. In recent months, there's been increasing scrutiny on the potential for conflicts of interest when power and influence are wielded in Washington, D.C. Now, in September, the New York Times reported 97 current senators or representatives who traded stocks or assets that intersected with the committees on which they serve. This month, the Wall Street Journal revealed officials across the executive branch who owned or traded stocks that could be impacted by the agencies where they worked. And now a new CNBC investigation finds the former head of Google, Eric Schmidt, made investments in artificial intelligence companies while he was chairing the AI commission, raising concerns among ethics experts about a fundamental conflict of interest situation. Here's Eamon Javers with more on that story. Please welcome Eric Schmidt. Dr. Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt, former Google CEO, political advisor to presidents, billionaire, and now a shaper of government policy. In 2019, Congress tasked Schmidt with chairing the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence. That federal commission produced this 700-page report advising the government on how to spend 40 billion taxpayer dollars on AI. The nation needs to become AI ready by 2025. A CNBC investigation found that at the same time Schmidt was influencing the industry's future, he was making personal investments in AI companies that stood to generate profits for himself. There's no indication Schmidt did anything unlawful or even against the rules. Yet venture capital industry records show he made five direct investments in AI companies during his tenure, and more than 50 through other entities he invests in or controls. The total dollar amount of his investments is not publicly available. It's absolutely a conflict of interest. Walter Schaub is a senior ethics fellow at the Watchdog Group Project on Government Oversight and the former director of the U.S. Office of Government Ethics. But his side will say, look, he's a patriotic American. He brings all this expertise to the table. Why shouldn't he serve in this capacity? He may be the greatest person in the world, and maybe he's exactly the right one to be in this commission, but he shouldn't be in this commission while investing in the very thing that's the subject of the commission's focus. Schmidt filed a private financial disclosure form with the federal government at the outset of his tenure. But that financial disclosure form is not a public record. The media and the public don't get to see it. A spokesperson for Schmidt said he revealed his AI investments on that document. The spokesperson said Eric has given full compliance on everything. But Schaub believes Schmidt's private disclosure isn't enough. He could have personally released his confidential financial disclosure report. There's nothing preventing him from doing it. And he could have made the decision not to invest in AI while chairing this commission. But Schmidt's situation isn't unusual. Ethics experts like Craig Holman, the Capitol Hill lobbyist for public citizen, say a lack of government oversight allows this to happen. 
The ethics enforcement process in the executive branch is broken. It does not work. Holman says the staffers who are supposed to review these forms have a poor track record of enforcing the rules, and oftentimes they don't even have the training to do so. So if you say the ethics process in Washington is broken, who broke it? It was design broken. What do you think Washington doesn't understand? Schmidt has spent years learning how Washington works. Here's what he said at the Washington Ideas Forum a decade ago. And it's shocking now, having spent a fair amount of time inside the system, how the system actually works. Um, and it's obvious that if the system is organized around incumbencies writing the laws, the incumbencies will benefit from the laws that are written. But Google is now one of the greatest incumbent corporations in, in America. Well, perhaps, but we don't write the laws. Today, though, Schmidt says he's proud the commission he chaired wrote actual legislation. Not only should we write down what we thought, which we did, but we would have 100 pages of legislation that they could just pass. In fact, we found full paragraphs from the AI Commission's report are almost identical to the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. That same bill also budgeted $75 million for, quote, implementing the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence recommendations. So what's the total effect of all this? The impact is we allow the wealthy special interests and the business interests to dominate our policy arena. And the public interest tends to get drowned out in this type of broken ethics process. And Dom, just to give you a feel for the scale of this, the federal government counts a total of 57 active federal advisory commissions with members offering input on everything from nuclear reactor safeguards to the Clean Air Act and global commodities markets. Dom, back over to you. All right, so, so Eamon, uh, can you take us through, has anyone tried to change the rules in Washington on this kind of activity, this kind of behavior, these, this construct by which people can embark on possible hypothetical conflict of interest type situations. Yeah, you know, ethics reformers have tried, you know, year in and year out to change the rules around all this, but there just doesn't seem to be enough critical mass to get it done. And, and what you see there is the ethics uh, experts saying that they believe that the system is sort of broken uh, from the start. It's intentionally broken uh, by the people who designed the system. So uh, you've got this scattershot approach throughout Washington where you have all these different ethics officers at all these different agencies, but they don't really report up to the same central uh, chain of command. They tend to sort of work for the people who run the agencies and do what the agencies want. So ethics uh, experts would like to see change here, but doesn't look like it's anytime coming. All right. You can see more on Eamon's big investigative piece there on CNBC.com right now. Eamon Javers, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. You bet. Uh, Worldwide Exchange will be back after this break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Earnings season kicking into high gear this week with more than 150 S&P 500 companies reporting, including 12 Dow components among them. They're all set to report this week, as you can see by that calendar. For more on what to expect and what to watch this week ahead, let's bring in Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial. He's also a CNBC contributor. Jeff, this is kind of like a huge deal. A lot of corporate results painting a bigger picture for us about what the economy looks like and what it will look like. What's going to be top of mind for you this week besides large cap technology? Well, Dom, you're absolutely right. This is a bit of a Super Bowl week. Next week, we obviously have the Fed meeting. So this is a very important week to get that cross-section, to get that understanding of what we are seeing. Certainly, the bar has been lowered for Q3 earnings. But nonetheless, we are expecting to get a better global insight. Look at Caterpillar. Look at Boeing. Look at some of these names outside of mega cap 
technology stocks that we really want to get a better understanding of what we are seeing. Certainly, there's a lot of headwinds. We're seeing a lot of news coming out of China with new additional lockdowns. But I think this weekend earnings really give us a better understanding of what that forward guidance, what the strength of the dollar has actually done, realized damage it has done to our economy. Okay, so if that's if that's the case, there are a number of reports that could tell us something about what it's going to be like bellwether type names. What's the most important report to you this week that's going to be coming out? I think it's Caterpillar and Boeing. Those two I really want to identify. Certainly there's been themes all year in 2022. We try to get a better understanding. But Boeing's been a name as we've seen all the ebbs and flows, the fits and starts of this global reopening. I think Boeing really gives us a great insight of what we are going to see from a business travel perspective, from a global economy demand. So that's what I'm really going to be looking at. But if you think about some of the other names, of course, Apple, wherever the tech darling takes us, we will want to see how those Apple uh, 14 phones have been selling. But I really do look more at the blue chip tangible names outside of mega cap technology, just due to the fact we've seen such a sell-off, such a revaluation, such a reset in those tech names. All right. So, so how much we know that interest rates are framing the entire discussion. Fed policy is going to be framing the entire discussion here. Is it stand a reason that these corporate earnings then don't really mean as much, given the fact that we have a Fed meeting and interest rate policy decision coming up? No, I think they do mean a, a lot, Dom. Let's look at four of the 11 S&P 500 sectors. We are seeing earnings growth year over year positive. Obviously, it's being led by energy, industrials, and real estate. But we look at the other seven sectors, and I get so focused on sector dislocation. And 2022 has really been a year that you've seen amplified sector dislocation. So you have an opportunity to see, but what's really kind of come to life recently, the beat up technology sector. Last week, we saw about a 6% move in technology. But I think you have to really walk through financials, healthcare, some of these names, even biotech. You know, I manage the sector rotation portfolio, Biotech, IBB, that has been a name that has really fallen out of favor. Certainly, we bought Biotech, IBB, and own the Amgens and these different names in the wake of COVID-19. All of a sudden, now you're seeing from a relative strength perspective, you're seeing Biotech come back to life. So there's all the sector dislocation underneath the surface that provides opportunity, Dom, as a lot of people have gotten so pessimistic about some of these different sectors. All right. So speaking of pessimism about sectors, news of the day right now is the absolute hammering that's happened Ooh. to Chinese technology stocks. Right. So, so is this a scenario right now, given what we know about the, the National Party Congress in China, where there is an opportunity for Chinese technology stocks? Or is it just way too early to tell whether this administration in China is going to crack down even harder on them? Well, I think the expectations you're seeing markets absolutely spooked. You know, Jack Ma had a great quote. I think among the richest men in China, few have good endings. And that's what we're seeing really priced in, say. Look at PGJ. That's the Invesco Golden Dragon Index. Has a lot of these names from Alibaba, Baidu, Neo, the car maker. You're seeing that at lows back to 2013, Dom. So you're absolutely seeing a lot of companies, if it's Baidu, if it's Alibaba, or if it's Neo, now they're down 50% year to date. So this is potentially an overreaction. But at the same point, it's a consolidation of power over there. If you are a business owner, you are very fearful. And that's really making a lot of people run out of China after we've seen additional lockdowns. Look what we just happened over the weekend. We're seeing Shenzhen again locked down. So sure. all the strain on supply chain issues are really being underscored here today with this leadership change. And this wasn't done in, in a very subtle way, Dom. Right. This was very, very announced. All right. Jeff Kilberg at KKM Financial. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures are marginally lower. Squawk Box has the market coverage coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 